I want you to know this may be today the shortest sermon you will ever hear me preach. As I was wrestling with the text this week, I thought, oh man, you know, I, I, I got to explain all the nuances of all this stuff and all the potential theological implications. And it was as if the Lord told me, no, you don't. Just give them the goods and get them out. And so don't get used to this. But I, I, I want you to know this is really simple because John's coming to the end of his letter. And he's summarizing what has been said. And he is saying, here's the bottom line, choose. So if I was to ask you today, why do you believe in Jesus? Or why should I believe in Jesus? What would you say? I'd encourage you to have that discussion. I, I was going to have you do it right here in church, but that would make some of you nervous. Why do you believe in Jesus, or why should I believe in Jesus? And if you have that discussion with some people and they say, I'm not sure I do, then the next question is, why do you not believe in Jesus? Because both of those should be considered decisions. Faith that is blind is not faith. Have you ever heard the term blind faith? And people say, well, you Christians, you just exercise blind faith. Blind faith isn't faith, it's stupidity. Okay? So, some of you know, I used to have my pilot's license and I was a mechanic. And, and uh, uh, if I were to say to you, hey, I've rented an airplane, do you want to go flying with me today? If you said yes, you'd be a fool. I haven't flown for years. I could probably get it up. Getting it down might be an issue. I could probably get it down, but getting it down in the configuration that I took it up might be an issue, okay? So if you had faith, well, I trust Doug, and he wouldn't do anything stupid. Then you're as stupid as Doug. Blind faith is not faith. It's presumption or stupidity. And so one of the things that I think we have to do is answer this question. Why, should, why do I believe in Jesus? Or why should I believe in Jesus? And I think for some who have been in the church for years, we probably need to ask that question. I was having a conversation with a young man this week, and he I'll, I'll tell you about him a little more in the end of the sermon, but he said, let's be honest, Christianity didn't work for me. I said, what do you mean? I grew up in the church. I went to church. I was there all the time, every day, all the time, Bible studies, blah, 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 blah. Never worked for me, and I had way more fun partying with my buddies, so I chose that. Okay. The question is, did he really understand what Christianity is. So John is going to answer some of these questions for us this morning. I'm going to just point out what he's saying, and then we're going to close in prayer and leave us to answer this question. Do we really believe that Jesus is the Son of God? If you can or if you will, stand with me. I'm going to read 1 John 5, 1 through 12. We're concentrating this morning on verses 6 through 12. Here's the bottom line. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. 
And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments aren't burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has this testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Father, open our eyes and our ears to hear what you have to say. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we begin this morning, I'm going to try and summarize what John is saying, but there's a part of this section, obviously, that has no small debate about what it means, this idea about the testimony of the water and the blood. There's large-scale disagreement, and as I was reading articles and commentaries, I began to pile them up in their areas of agreement, and guess what? The piles were pretty even. <laughs> it's, a, it's a difficult passage. I'm not Sure, I can bring you a definitive answer because there are people who are way wiser than I am who disagree. The overall point is this. The bottom line is this. John is, is saying that believing Jesus is the Christ is the means of and the sign of being born again. It's how we become Christians. We choose to take God at his word. (coughs) We believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that is the means by which we are saved. It's also the sign that we are saved. Because authentic belief can only come by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so we know we are children of God because we believe. Now, we spent quite a bit of time last week talking about what real belief is. It's not how we define it in America. John defines it as those who trust God enough to take him at his word and live in obedience. Not perfect obedience, but we have cast our lot with him and we invest our life in him. That is the line drawn in the sand as far as saving faith is concerned. Is Jesus the Son of God who took on flesh and died on our behalf that we might live a new life? Yes or no? Is Jesus the anointed one, born of God or not? First of all, note that John is affirming and using an Old Testament principle that the Jewish people would understand. In a court case, a matter needed to be decided by two or three witnesses. Any one witness wasn't good enough. 
In Deuteronomy 19.15, it says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So what John is acknowledging is, hey, listen, if that's what we do in court, then let's see what God does with his son. <coughs> and what he now does is says, on the testimony of two or three trusted witnesses, this is how the truth of Jesus Christ is established. That principle is affirmed in the church life throughout the New Testament. John actually quotes Jesus as referring to this principle when the religious leaders of his day in John 8 ask who he is. Well, on what authority do you do this? And John said, hey, listen, you guys establish truth by two or three witnesses. Here they are. So some would say that in these two things, John is referring to Jesus' death on the cross where his side is pierced and blood and water flowed from his side as evidence that Jesus actually died. He came and took on flesh and he actually died. And we know that because when his side was pierced, blood and water flowed out. He didn't just swoon. Some would say that John is referring to Jesus' introduction into ministry at his baptism as the testimony of the water as the Spirit of God proclaimed that Jesus was God's Son, and the testimony of the blood is that when he shed his blood, he did so on the cross on our behalf. Others have suggested that water represents the spiritual nature of Jesus and blood the physical nature. A cross-reference there would be, remember when Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman, and he asks her for a drink, and she says, why are you asking me for a drink? And he says, if you knew who I was, you'd ask for me for a drink, and I would give you living water, and out of you will flow rivers of living water. It's this idea of life from the Spirit. So some commentators take the water to mean the divine birth and blood, the human birth of Jesus. I see some great truth in all those opinions, and I kept going like this this week. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Well, actually, they all kind of make sense. And when I see John, I'm going to say, you could have made this a lot clearer. Sometimes I tend to go with the simplest idea. You know why? <laughs> I'm not that smart. <laughs> I'm pretty simple. And as I've wrestled with this this week, I think there are three major events in Jesus' life that testify to the reality of who he is, and the Holy Spirit is involved in all three. And remember what John said, I wrote my gospel that you might see these things that Jesus did, and in seeing, believe that he is the Christ, and find life in his name. But I want to tell you that seeing all those things means nothing if the Holy Spirit doesn't confirm them in our heart and minds and make us alive. I think there are three major events that we can look at. The first one is his baptism. <clears throat> as Jesus came up out of the water, who gave testimony as to who Jesus was? The Spirit of God. And in his humanity, he submitted to being baptized. Why? Because he was a sinner and needed to submit? No. He was identifying with all of us in humanity who did need. We were in need of repentance and cleansing. Let me read the account from Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan 
to John to be baptized by John. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Did God give testimony who Jesus was? So the question is, can you trust God's opinion? Some would say no, or I don't trust the Word of God, having recorded God's opinion. But the point is, can you trust God? At his death, when Jesus shed his, shed his blood and the earth was shrouded in darkness, the temple veil was torn in two, dead men and women were raised throughout Jerusalem. And then the ultimate declaration was the resurrection of Jesus Christ to declare who he is by the power of the Spirit of God. Romans 1, 3, and 4 says this, concerning his son, who was descended from David, flesh, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Did the resurrection declare who Jesus is? Seems to me it's a pretty loud statement. Thirdly, at Pentecost, in the, when the Holy Spirit literally invaded and empowered men in a way that was absolutely new, Jesus told his disciples, I got to go. I got to send the Spirit. He's your helper. If I don't go, you'll never get this stuff. That's the amazing thing. Jesus said, you can't understand who I am unless I go and the Spirit comes. And so at Pentecost, here's this public declaration. Who were the apostles and the disciples at that point? chickens. They had shortly before denied Christ. They were powerless, they, and they believed about Jesus. They knew what he had done. <clears throat> they even saw the resurrection. And yet, Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait, boys. There's something coming that you don't even understand yet. So they went, and on the day of Pentecost, they're invaded by the Spirit of God. They're invaded and they're empowered. Normal men with supernatural power and the presence of God now living inside of them. Was that a declaration as to who Jesus was and what he had done? It's a declaration of the Word of God. I think John has lined up three irrefutable witnesses with which his readers and we must deal. Is Jesus literally God in a bod? Is he who the Bible promised through the Old Testament? Is he the fulfillment of God's plan? And what did he do to prove it? It seems that God himself has provided pretty ample objective testimony. And we have to deal with it. But it doesn't stop there. God has given us his spirit to testify to us directly. 1 John 3, 24 says this. We read it a few weeks ago. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. 1 John 4, 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. 
1 John 5, 6, the verse we read this morning, and the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. The Holy Spirit is repeatedly called the Spirit of truth. Read John 14 to 16. And Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would lead them into all truth. Paul says that God put his Spirit in our hearts to confirm the testimony of the Word of God and the testimony of the uh, declaration of the apostles who hadn't yet written the New Testament. This is what the Old Testament says. This is what we declare to you. Remember he said in the, at the beginning of 1 John, what we handled, what we saw, what we heard, this we declare to you. And the Spirit of God, he says, who lives in you, if he lives in you, will tell you the truth. The problem is that that's a subjective kind of a thing. So how do we determine if it indeed is the Spirit of God? And John has said, the Spirit of God declares the person and work of Jesus Christ. In verse 10 of our text this morning, it says, whoever believes in the Son of God has this testimony in himself. Romans 8, Paul says in verses 15 to 17, for you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Dad. Today is Father's Day, right? And we can say to the God of the universe, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. God's Spirit confirms the truth of the Word of God, both Old and New Testaments, in our hearts. He confirms the truth to us so that we might believe in the first place. He pries open our mind and our thinking. He convicts and convinces us of the truth. Only he can do that. So when a young man says to me, I've read the Word of God and it makes no sense to me, absolutely no sense, I always say, have you asked the Spirit of God to open your eyes and your heart, or are you trying to do it on your own? Because if you're trying to figure it out on your own, good luck with that. I look around. You don't look that smart to me. You can't do it. But when we begin to come to the Lord and say, if you're real, if this book is real, if Jesus is who he says he is, Lord, would you open my eyes? Because I want to know. If we don't want to know, he knows we don't want to know. He's not going to override our will. But if we want to know who he is, ask, and the Holy Spirit, I believe, will convince and convict. John Jack Jackman says about this passage, so the Spirit bears witness through the Scriptures, God's word of truth, by which human minds are instructed and human wills are changed. As he brings Christ's obedient followers increasingly into likeness of their Lord. The Spirit of God, listen to this, the Spirit of God still takes the word of God and produces children of God. The Spirit of God still takes the Word of God and produces the children of God. And John says to not believe the Holy Spirit is to declare God a liar. 
the Holy Spirit is saying this, but you can't trust him. And by the way, I believe that's the one unpardonable sin. How many of you have ever asked me about the unpardonable sin or, or blaspheming the Holy Spirit? That's it. If the Holy Spirit says Jesus is who he says he is, and you say, I choose not to believe you, what you're saying is, God, the Holy Spirit, you're a liar. And that's what will send you to hell. Not saying it, but relying on it. I refuse to acknowledge what the Spirit of God says through the Word of God, then there's no hope for me in eternity. The testimony is that God gave eternal life, and this life is in God's only Son. So the question this morning, bottom line, do you have life? Do you have the Son? The young man that I was talking with this weekend chance. I knew him when he was younger, and I hadn't seen him for a while. As I said earlier, he said that church was boring as he grew up, and he, he had more fun partying, so he chose the partying. And I said, so have you ever really explored the reality of Christ? Getting to know him, and then this, being willing to do whatever he asked. And he said, obviously not. Have you ever really submitted yourself to Christ and say, you are who you say you are. You are the God who died for me that makes you Lord, Master, and Savior. Have you ever really tried following him on his terms by submitting to him? And he said, obviously not. And I said, then it isn't Christianity that didn't work for you. It's a religion made after your own opinions, and you are asking God to submit to you, which makes you your own God. Now, let me tell you this. That doesn't work so well for Jesus. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked so well for you, and it never works for anybody. That's not what Jesus came to offer. I say it often. He did not come to bless our lives. He came to give his in exchange for ours. And he will take ours and give us new life in him. If we're bartering him with him, I will follow you if Jesus says, I'm not in a bartering mood. And by the way, I'm God. Gary and Wusi Mackey were here in the first service, and they work with foreign nationals here in our country. He's actually preaching at a church service about now. <laughs> and uh, these folks who come from Asia, <clears throat> country over there, <clears throat> have either never heard of Jesus or never met anybody who believes in Jesus, most of them. And so they will come to him and say, why should we believe in Jesus? <laughs> and Gary says, well, 
read the word of God and pray like this. God, if you're real, you prove it to me. If you're real, I really want to know you're real. Show me. And Gary says, surprise, he does. And many of them are coming to Christ. I think that's good counsel for us. If you're here and you're saying, I'm not sure I believe, I'm not sure it's real, I'm not sure it works. Have we ever really taken God at his word and said, I'll do it on your terms, not mine? 1 John 5, 10 through 12, whoever believes, has faith in, submits their life to, casts their lot with the Son of God, has his testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son and only in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Here's the bottom line. Is he who he says he is? And is he worth submitting our lives to? Father, pretty simple, pretty straightforward. And yet we want to barter. We want to make it about us. It's not about us. It's about you in us giving up us to take on your life. Father, I pray for those of us who have heard this a billion times that will ask the question, do we really have life? Or are we just kidding ourselves when we have religion? For those who maybe have never heard this, the question is, do you have life? And do you have the Son of God? Father, I pray today and this week as we go about our business that we will settle that issue because you have given pretty confirming testimony. We are without excuse. May we settle those issues. In Jesus' name, amen.